I'm David Heitler Clevens. And I'm Rodney Wittenberg. And this is Music for the New Revolution. Hey, David. <laughs> so today we tackle some issues around religion and spirituality. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as I said, namaste. And, namaste. <laughs> uh, Asalaamu Alaikum. And God bless you. Gesundheit. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, one of the things that's kind of, uh, I think, going to be interesting about this, you know, Rodney, you and I, I, I feel like we have a lot in common about mm-hmm. our views but sometimes it's fun to pick a topic where we're more different. And we did this with an episode on race, you mm-hmm. know, and uh, and this one, we're, I think we, we do have some more distinct different views about yeah. religion and about, and the ways that we kind of came to those will be kind of, uh, will be interesting to explore, I think. Yes. Well, uh, yes, I think we've talked about this a couple of times in, um, I was raised Catholic. And, and and right off the bat, that is kind of interesting or, you know, somewhat unique for an African-American to be Catholic um, because it was so much a part of assimilation in the 50s and 60s where uh, blacks in this country became, decided to become Catholic to assimilate. And so I was raised Catholic and... Uh, and, and you were raised Jewish, right? Or you were you are Jewish, but are you are culturally Jewish and ethnically Jewish, but not spiritually? Is that the deal? That would be an accurate description. Yes, I, I am a I am a Jewish by identity and by culture, but not by religion. Yes, yes. And I and I would also say, starting off this show, it's a very tricky thing to talk about religion because of that. Religion is not always. Spiritual and spirituality is not always religious. I think the definition of religion is to relink, if I remember correctly. I just saw that the other day. Um, and uh, it seems like an odd definition. I've always thought it was something else other than that, but, um, and I'm not quite sure how that came about, but um, uh, something, it is the definition of it in Latin. I was very, very um, moved by the teachings that I heard in church. I remember um, very, one of the most impactful uh, Easter seasons, I think I might have been about seven or eight. And of course, there's a movie involved. That's always got to be a movie or a song. (laughs) And I saw the Cecil B. DeMille's version, the silent version of The Greatest Story Ever Told, which to me, the experience of seeing that film in black and white in my parents' living room still is 
seems so larger than any other movie I've ever seen in my life. I mean, larger than the first Star Wars movie, larger than the first um, the first time I saw Jaws. It, it just looms so big. Even though I was watching it on a little TV, I remember when it got to the end and Jesus was on the cross, that whole scene, I wept as a little kid. I think it was my first understanding of what Jesus did on the cross and um and what how he forgave those who crucified him and um it it really did shape shape my sense of social justice and right and wrong and at the same time though being raised catholic i always felt that there was a disconnect between the teachings of jesus or the actions of Jesus, which is even more accurate, and what I was learning in school, uh, uh, being because uh, I did do a year, and I say it as <laughs> it's like a prison sentence. I did do a year at Kafka school, uh, and it did feel a little bit like a prison sentence because I would get sent to the office not for being bad, but for asking questions. Mm-hmm. I, I tell this story all the time because I think it's amusing and funny, but. I would sit in class and I remember very distinctly raising my hand and saying to the teacher, um, the lay teacher, meaning that it wasn't a nun, uh, but it was a, who was doing the religious studies. And I said, uh, I said, so Jesus died on the, on the cross. And then on the third day rose, the first person he comes to is Mary and uh, not Mary, the mother, but Mary Magdalene. And he said, go forth and tell them I had risen. And my question from my little nine, eight-year-old brain was, well, if she's the first person that he came to, why isn't she an apostle? Mm -hmm. And then I got sent to the office. (laughs) And that was the beginning of my uh, leaving the Catholic Church. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of the other things I would argue was, why did I have to wear a tie when Jesus wore a daishiki, at least that's what it looked like to me in my um, African-American nine, seven, eight, nine-year-old brain that he was wearing a daishiki, which I thought was really cool. Like, right on, Jesus. Um, and it was, and, and you know, it was a, it was a strange kid in that, uh, I guess, between nine and thirteen. I had a shrine in my bedroom along with my Beatles posters. Like it was like next to my bed. I had created a, uh, 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 the, the, um, this, this birth of Christ and the death of Christ out of clay. <laughs> I had made this and it sat next to my bed and above it were the pictures of the four Beatles. <laughs> so, and behind me, I had the Bible, which I would read, uh, uh, Back then, I would read a lot, and uh, I think it was around 12 that I told my mom I wasn't going back to church, and I was going to explore other religions, which was devastating to her. So that was the beginning of it, and as I started looking around, I, I was immediately fascinated by Judaism because for the simple reason that you could ask questions which I loved. You could debate and ask questions because it was kind of frowned upon in the Catholic I felt like then from that point until very, very recently, I was questing. I was looking for a home, a new spiritual home. Um, And I often think that I substituted rock and roll for 
my uh was was my religion for a while um in that it felt as mysterious or as connected to the source or i should say maybe art and creativity um they feel as connected to the source and as close to god when you are really in that zone of being creative as you can get when you are in deep meditation or in deep prayer or uh any of the other practices that sort of get us out of our head and into wholeness. So that quest led me to becoming a UU, a member of a UU church, which kind of makes sense because it is like, it, I don't know, UU is, it's a combination of ritual. You can choose, each person has their own spirituality and it's really about having a, a, con, a group of people who are I get like-minded in that they want to be with a group of people to celebrate their faith but it's not dogmatic. There is no doctrine that is forced fed to you. Um, and um, and one of the songs that we play is Let the Mystery Be. And so there's not necessarily looking for answers, but the thing I love is that the spirit is alive now. One of the things that always kind of drove me crazy about a lot of the religions is that they all seem to be backward looking. And I don't mean that in the i don't mean that to be negative but they always seem to be that god was around 2000 years ago where is he today and where are the miracles of today and where are the messengers of today and why don't we have any what well, we do it's just it's sort of like the question we set out to answer where are the political songs of today the they're here you just <laughs> have to pay attention to them and i think that the um you know god is still the spirit, God, Gaia, Mother Earth, whatever you believe, uh, is still speaking to us. Uh, we just don't listen in the same way. So, um, and uh, I guess that leads me to the first two songs. I mean, mm -hmm. I, unless you have a question or comment, David. No, I think that's good. Well, the one thing I was thinking maybe we should just say, in case I'm guessing most people listening to this will know what you mean by you, you. But we might want to just mention that that stands for Unitarian Universalist. Yes. Unitarian yeah. Universalist, yes. That is what it stands for. And and one of the things I love about Unitarian Universalist churches is that I it almost seems like no two are alike. <laughs> right. Well, that's kind of the nature of decentralized kinds of you know religious institutions. Quakers can be like that too. You know, yeah. if, if you don't have kind of a hierarchy like the Catholic Church has, then each individual congregation can be more or less, you know, uh, Christian, more or less religious, more or less sort of formal, you know, there's a lot of different variations, right? Yes, yes. And uh, yeah, there are uh, many variations. And, and um, what was interesting to me when I went to see the Dead Sea Scrolls is how those variations played out a long time ago in Judaism and Christianity, in the early days of Christianity, and how things were not drastically different, but very different, literally 50 miles away from each other. Like this particular grouping of uh, Jewish people would do, had these rituals and you went 50 miles away and there were different rituals for some of the same things. And I found that really interesting in the Dead Sea, yet the Dead Sea Scroll exhibit, because it is kind of what it seems like uh, culture and the culture and religion sort of get tied together and sometimes the things that we think are um from god 
are actually just practices, you know. I mean, if, if, God, if God was giving us a message now, it would be uh, st- stay out of the wet market. <laughs> wash your hands. And don't wash touch your, your hands. face. Yeah, don't touch <laughs> Don't eat bats. <laughs> um, those would be probably if, if someone was making the New Testament out of this pandemic, that would be our testament for uh, with rules for us to follow. There would be some of those things written in there, I believe, because it is always amazing to me how some things are just justified in in, in, in the teaching, it, one, one of the things that I've, right off the bat is slavery. And I, again, looking at the Dead Sea Scrolls, I was so surprised how um, the, the God of the Old Testament is very accepting that there are slaves. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, I've seen actually a meme that has that, you know, like God had the option of outlawing uh, shellfish or slavery. He went with shellfish. <laughs> You know, go figure. <laughs> yeah, it's like, huh? Um, so there's always a man's interpretation, and um, and yeah, I, one you know, one of my dreams before I leave this planet is I want, uh, you know, I'm also a filmmaker, and and one of the narrative, one narrative film I want to make. There's a couple of narrative films. I mostly make documentaries, as you know, but maybe people out there don't know, but. Um, one of the films I'd love to make is about the Nicene Council and the creation of the Bible, because it, from what I've read and understood about it, it was such it was such political decisions, and and some of the research I've done, and uh, religious leaders I've talked to have actually answered my question uh, that I raised earlier. Um, Mary did have a was an apostle and did have a church, and did write down her. Um, her experiences of Jesus, they just weren't included in the Bible. <laughs> mm. Very curious, I find. Mm-hmm. But again, <laughs> as we get to our show is about music. So the, the, the two songs I wanted to start with uh, were, I think, kind of sum up my um, relationship to um, spirituality and religion. One, the first one's going to be Prince, and there's so many Prince songs that we could pick from i always felt that he as a person represented the struggle between the dark and the light and uh and, and i think he more than any other pop artist was able to somehow get that out in a pop way i mean you know um u2 is another one of my favorite bands and they are uh i i always think of them as one of the secret christian bands because they are a christian band and they if you ask them, they will say that, but they don't announce it. You know, they don't come on stage with crosses and and uh, talking about Jesus. But um, uh, some of their songs are pretty obvious, though. Yeah, some of them are pretty Gloria, obvious. for instance. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, Could be about a girl, but, you know. <laughs> I don't think so with the Latin part in the middle. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, um, but Prince makes it pretty obvious, and, and he does – kind of look at the battle between the dark and the light he's constantly seems like he's constantly he, he's allowing himself to be the human that is in between the two and really in that struggle and um and the other song i picked is tori amos's god um i think that her sentiment is in the song there's a couple different ways that you could interpret it but you know with the chorus god t- sometimes you just don't come through 
I think it speaks to the fact that we think God is, God is with us when good things happen. Um, and when bad things happen, it's the goal is just to get us through those bad things, but maybe the bad things and the good things are neither. Maybe they just happen. And we put all this judgment and, um, you know, meaning making on them. Um, I remember sitting on the, a beach in Costa Rica years ago, and I was reading a book of uh, essays from Camille Paglia, and I was listening to Nine Inch Nails. Really, I'm very strange. <laughs> um, and there was this terrible, horrible storm the night before. I mean, a vi pretty violent thunderstorm. And then the next day was just serene. And for about four hours, I sat on the beach and I was the only person on the beach for as far as I could see in either direction. And there were trees that were destroyed and some birds that had died from the nests being blown out of the trees and, and everything. But it was, you know, because it, it was a pretty violent storm the night before and, and that day was just beautiful. And I kept asking myself a question, do the birds and the trees think the storm was bad? Hmm. Did the ocean or the fishes think the storm was bad? Things died. Now there was this beautiful, I mean, just absolutely perfect day. So why is one good and one bad? They both happened and they both apparently are created by our creator. So um, maybe our challenge is just to accept that we are in that constant swinging of the good and the bad. So, or the uh, dark and the light. I like that description a little better. And so... Um, without any further ado, here is Prince with the Cross. Children need all that she brings. 
sometimes you don't just don't come through so um it does look like tori did have a i can't see if her father was a uh, minister but she did have a very uh christian upbringing and her was introduced to other faiths and religions or a more uh what does it say here a pantheistic spiritual alternative alternative by one of her by her maternal grandfather and mm -hmm. uh, 
There is much debate about the meaning of religion, but it does mean to bind back or bind together. That is, if you follow the literal Latin meaning, but there are many arguments out there that the meaning of religion uh, is, um, is, is more um, changed when it started being used in relation to spirituality. But mm. uh, like many things in religion, there are many people arguing about it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess my perspective on that is um, religion, spirituality, belief are identities that are defined by each individual and so it it always feels to me like if you say you are christian if you say you are jewish if you say you are buddhist etc etc um that's your prerogative you know I, I i never feel like it's okay for people to say well you're you're not really what you say you are because mm -hmm. that that really is up to the individual in my opinion and and also in terms of people sort of excommunicating people because they do things that they think aren't Christian or whatever. I, I think that that's also not really fair. I think you could say you're not following the teachings as I see them. That 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 could be fair. But um, and, and I actually look at this sort of the opposite of some people. I, I think the problem with being able to excommunicate people like by saying, say, Trump is, mm -hmm. you know, not really a Christian because of the things he does is it's a whitewashing of the religion because that makes the religion equated with goodness. Mm -hmm. And then you're basically saying everything that's been done in the name of a religion, like witch burnings, like crusades, like holy wars, all those things weren't really done by that religion. And that makes it too convenient. You know, we don't, most people don't have that, uh, luxury that that privilege <laughs> of being able to sort of say well you know uh you know we're just going to say my group is is always good because anything that my group does it's bad it wasn't really part of my group anyway uh so <laughs> or, you know, or you could take the attitude like like uh, that person you just mentioned says if i do it therefore it must be good right right well there's that too yeah <laughs> so um so you know this sort of brings to some of my uh the formation of my beliefs and stuff. So as, as we mentioned before, I come from a Jewish background and I do consider myself to be Jewish, but I also consider Jewishness to be, uh, you know, defined by, again, individuals. So if you feel like you're Jewish and that means you're part of the Jewish culture or ethnicity, then, um, you know, that doesn't require that you have a specific faith. And there are certainly people who are Jewish who, who do, but there are many people who identify as Jewish who are secular, and I'm one of those people. And I've always been uh, secular. I don't remember ever having any religious beliefs or feelings. I remember as a child, I didn't really know what religion was. My parents had kind of an unusual amount of restraint in um, not teaching me, or even, I think, telling me what they believed. I remember I think it first came up when people started telling me that I was going to burn in hell because I didn't even know what they were talking about. Um, and, and so that seemed extremely unfair to my little kid mind. I mean, I hear people are making this sort of threatening talk and talking about things that gave me nightmares. And I was like, well, I don't even understand what you're saying, you know? So, uh, it, and it, so it felt, like I said, very unfair to kind of be punished in that way for something out of just ignorance. And when I would come to my parents and say, you know, what are these people saying? You know, they're saying I don't I believe in this thing called God and, and, and that means I'm going to be punished. And, and they would say, well, you know, some people believe 
that and some people don't. They were very restrained about it. They didn't really tell me, you know, anything about it. So um, when I did learn a little bit more about what people were talking about, I I remember at one point sort of trying to believe in God because I thought it sounded easier. It sounded kind of like they, people talked about comfort and uh, and and that sort of stuff. And so I, I remember trying, and I and I just couldn't. It just wasn't in me, you know. To it didn't feel real um, to me. And I'm not putting anybody else's beliefs down in that. Although I know from experience that many people feel very threatened by unbelievers, as some people would call me, uh, you know, because I think it somehow, especially because I I'm a very moral person. I think a lot about right and wrong. You know, that, that's a lot of my political. Uh, sense and so if people know me and they know that I'm a very moral person and then they find out that I don't believe in God that is particularly threatening to some people because they want to equate believing in God with being a moral person and so uh, somehow I am threatening that um, and so I often find people try to put me in their box and say well you know David you're really actually a spiritual person or you're actually a religious person and sort of like I think you mentioned this you know for a while Rodney you said you know rock and roll was your religion and there are people who said that to me have said oh the Beatles are, are your religion or music is your religion I'm like no I really don't have one that may make you feel good to you know put me in in that because it makes it feel like I'm the same as you but but I really don't <laughs> I don't look at it that way I don't I don't feel any sense of uh, spiritual or religious belief, and I'm sorry if that makes people uncomfortable, but it, it's that's who I am, you know, literally. Yeah. Well, when I said rock and roll is my religion, I I think it was, um, it set forth a set of practices that I did every day that came out of a belief in the music, mm -hmm. and that's actually a question I had for you. You said you the you're not spiritual that's fine I, I get that uh but my did you have cultural practices because part of what makes something religious is the practice of doing it over and over again it's not just the belief but putting that belief into action so and and not necessarily like did you celebrate or did you let's celebrate because i always find that weird celebrate passover it's kind of an odd thing but did you observe <laughs> passover or did you so, observe any of the other Jewish cult holidays that kind of, it's, you know, having spent a lot of time in, with people who are Jewish and, and, and who are also either religious or just culturally, it's kind of weird because it meshes together, right. the cultural and the spiritual and the religious kind of mesh together or, or not. Do you find that? Like right. Well, so for me, uh, in, in my family, we have, uh, um, we have done, I almost don't like to even use the word observed because it feels like uh, somehow following a rule. Um, <laughs> but, you know, but we have, uh, I'll, I'll use celebrated, you know, we, we have celebrated things like Passover, but we've always done them very much in our own way. Mm -hmm. And actually holidays like Passover, it, it's a very decentralized holiday. It doesn't take place in a house of worship. It takes place around your own mm -hmm. table with, you know, family or close friends or both. And um, what what you use for the ceremony is a Haggadah, but we write our own Haggadahs, which don't have any religion in them. So mm. we we tell the story that's told, but we don't. And, and within the story, we sometimes do include some references to religious things, but it's as a story. But even when we can, we, we often uh, 
pull out what we find to be the most meaningful parts of the story. And in that story, the focus in our mind is, is freedom. Um, and, uh, and we make it fairly political. Sometimes we make it very funny. Uh, we've done versions where it's been Star Wars with uh, uh, Darth Pharaoh and uh, Moses Skywalker. We've done versions where it was uh, Harry Potter, you know. <laughs> so, you know, and that sort of brings up that whole Joseph Campbell thing of these archetypes of, of yeah. these stories that, that overlap. But, um, but I should also just say, uh, backing up a little bit to, to my family upbringing. So, you know, a lot of people who believe the kinds of things I do are making a break with the past and, you know, making a break with their family who were religious. And one thing that's a little bit unusual in my family is that uh, you have to go back to my great and sometimes my great, great grandparents to find people who were uh, religious. So it's a it's a fairly long history of people who were secular Jews in my family. And that is relatively unusual when I talk to my friends who are also secular Jews, you know, usually. Uh, you know, they either broke from their parents or at least their parents broke from from, from their parents. Um, but just the fact that that goes back a ways doesn't mean that we don't each have to think about it. Because the thing is, you know, this country is a very uh, religious country in a lot of ways. And it, it can feel very alienating, you know, to be secular in this country, I think. And so, you know, just like I think if you're any other kind of minority you, you don't have the luxury of being unaware of your status as a minority. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's it's like white people don't have to think about what it means to be black, but there's no person of color who can, can <laughs> avoid thinking about it, right? Huh. At least for their whole life. Um, and I think that's true of atheists too, mm -hmm. uh, that, you know, lots of people can be religious and sort of think everybody believes the same thing as they do. Um, if you're an atheist, you pretty much are forced to have to think about it and evaluate it and be confronted with other systems. And I think that's actually a good thing, but but it's not always an easy thing. Um, so that the fact that my family is generations of secular people doesn't necessarily make it an, uh, sort of just following a tradition. I think we still have to wrestle with what we believe uh, in a conscious way. And, and like I said, I think that's actually a good thing. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know... Um, it's interesting, I think, in terms of music. So as I was growing up, um, I don't think I really heard much music that specifically spoke to me about how I identified. Um, and it's more recently, I think maybe starting when I was a teenager and I heard you know, some of the things that Jethro Tull was doing and Emerson Lincoln Palmer that were very critical or questioning of traditional um, religious ideas and things. Um, that I started to be like, oh, wow, there are people who are actually writing songs about what I think. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, but, but like I said, I think more recently I've, I've discovered some things that are uh, really thought-provoking and, and interesting approaches to some of these topics that come from a perspective similar to mine. So the ones I was thinking of, of playing, um, there's a very funny guy tim minchin who some of you may have heard his uh, song f sharp was one of the first ones that i think that got famous it was more of a musical joke and he wrote the music for shows like matilda uh yeah. but this is a live version of his song thank you god which is what you'll see is fairly self-explanatory he's a little introduction to it and then we'll also hear something from uh jenny lewis yeah. uh who has written a number of songs that are are uh, on my wavelength i think and th that song is going to be the big guns mm -hmm. Had a church. Sam, Sam and his mum went to a, an evangelical church in Dandenong, just, just south of Melbourne there. And she went there that Sunday, and the entire congregation 
prayed for, for his mum. And the next Tuesday, that she went to the doctor and her eye was completely healed, uh, as if nothing had ever been wrong. And I had asked for evidence, you know, and this was the first time I'd ever had a first-person account of, of, of a miracle. So I really, really uh, had an impact on me, and I went home and uh, wrote this song. an apology to make I'm afraid I've made a big mistake I turned my face away from you Lord I was too blind to see the light I was too weak to feel your mind I closed my eyes I couldn't see the truth Lord but then like Saul on the Damascus road you sent a messenger to me, and so Now I've had the truth revealed to me Please forgive me all those things I said I no longer betray you, Lord I will pray to you instead And I will say thank you, thank you, thank you, God Fixing the cataracts of Sam's mum I had no idea but it's suddenly so clear Now I feel such a cynic, how could I have been so dumb? Thank you for displaying how praying works A particular prayer in a particular church Thank you Sam for the chance to acknowledge this Omnipotent ophthalmologist Thank you God for fixing the cataracts of Sam's mum I didn't realize that it was so simple But you've shown a great example of just how it can be done You only need to pray in a particular spot To a particular version of a particular God And if you pull that off without a hitch He will fix one eye of one middle-class white bitch I know in the past my outlook has been limited I couldn't see examples of where life had been definitive But I can admit it when the evidence is clear As clear as Sam's mom's new cornea Extremely clear. Thank you, God, for fixing the cataracts of Sam's mum. I have to admit that in the past I have been skeptical, but Sam described this miracle and I am overcome. How fitting that the sighting of a sight-based intervention should open my eyes to this exciting new dimension. It's like someone put an eye chart up in front of me and the top five letters say I-C-G-O-D. Thank you, Sam, for showing how my point of view has been so flawed. I assume there was no God at all, but now I see the cynical It's simply that his interests aren't particularly broad He's largely undiverted by the starving masses Or the inequality between the various classes He gives out strictly limited passes Redeemable for surgery or two for one glasses I feel so shocking for historically mocking you Your interests are clearly confined to the ocular I bet given the chance you just chew the divine And start a little business selling contacts online Fuck me, Sam, what are the odds that of history's endless parade of gods that the god who just happened to be taught to believe in is the actual one? 
many digs on healing But not the AIDS-ridden African nations Nor the victims of the plague, nor the flat-addled Asians But healthy, privately insured Australians With common and curable corneal degeneration This story of Sam's has but a single explanation A surgical god who digs on magic operations No, it couldn't be mistaken, attribution of causation Born of a coincidental temporal correlation Exacerbated by a general lack of education Vis-a-vis -vis physics in Sam's parish congregation And it couldn't be that all these pious people are liars Couldn't be an artifact of confirmation bias A product of groupthink, a mass delusion An emperor's new clothes style, fear of exclusion No, it's more likely to be an all-powerful magician Than the misdiagnosis of the initial condition Or one of many cases of spontaneous remission Or a record-keeping glitch by the local physician Not the only explanation for Sam's mum's scene They prayed to an all-knowing super being To the omnipresent master of the universe And he quite liked the sound of their muttered verse So for a bit of a change from his usual stunt Of being a sexist, racist, murderous cunt He popped down to Dan and Omen just like that Used his powers to heal the cataracts Of Sam's mum Sing the cataracts of Sam's mom I didn't realize that it was such a simple thing I feel such a ding-a-ling, what ignorant scum Now I understand how prayer can work A particular prayer in a particular church In a particular style with a particular stuff And for particular problems that aren't particularly tough And for particular people Preferably white and for particular senses Preferably sight a particular prayer in a particular spot To a particular version of a particular God And if you get that right, he does mine Take a break from giving babies malaria And pop down to your local area To fix the cataracts of your
So if that voice sounded familiar, that's because uh, Jenny Lewis was the lead singer of Rilo Kylie. And that was uh, Jenny Lewis and the Watson twins doing the big guns. Mm. Very cool. Yeah. So, you know, the, the, um, the thing I think a lot of times these songs that are critical mm -hmm. or satirical about religion, you know, they're often really going after the fundamentalist orthodox side of religion mm -hmm. where people are just so sure that they know exactly what this omnipotent being, you know, wants mm -hmm. and, and expects mm -hmm. of them. And, you know, I think it's pretty easy for a lot of people who are on the whole spectrum of being in more politically progressive religions to mm -hmm. agnostics and atheists like myself, you know, to, to uh, feel like, you know, a lot of us can agree that that idea mm -hmm. of being sure you know what is right is, you know, <laughs> has problems with it. Uh -huh. and, and there are people who would accuse people of me of being like that because they would say, well, you're sure there is no God. But that's not exactly what I would say. I would just say I'm a very rational kind of proof-based person. And, and mm -hmm. so I don't have any reason in my mind to believe supernatural things because I don't see an evidence of that mm -hmm. and you know other people that's not the way that they need you know I think faith is I know there's a lot of people who want to use sort of facts and proof and stuff to to back up religion but you know it seems to me like faith and and fact are, are two different things and you can mm -hmm. have faith in things but part of the idea of faith is not needing evidence it, it's a it's a it's a belief it's a um, and, and you don't um, have to be rock yeah. solid in your faith. You could believe it's mm -hmm. under, you know, worth questioning and everything, but I, I, I don't know. Maybe you have a different feeling about that. Right? Well, I think that, I think the the challenge of what you're saying is the difference between, uh, faith and religion. I think they're separate, I think. And, and also, um, your own sense of spirituality and religion and why I'm making a distinction is, uh, like, I have personal experiences of um, something that I can't explain. Um, the story that I tell often of one of an example of this is the um, I, I spent a month in Costa Rica uh, as a reporter for Radio for Beast, and I lived in this little town called Ciudad Colon. It couldn't have been more than two hundred people in the town, and. A few uh, expats, American expats, who worked at the radio station, and everybody else was Costa Rican and did not speak English. The night of Easter, of Good Friday, I had spent the day uh, wandering through the rainforest to get up to the up the side of the mountain to the station, and that was in itself pretty spiritual. I'm a city suburban kid from outside of Philadelphia and I was in my mid to late 20s and this is the first time I was ever like by myself walking through what felt to me like the end of the world like the edges of the world mm -hmm. <laughs> where it was just me my little canteen and all these animals that were following me around and it was pretty emotional later that evening there was a processional to the church and in uh, the whole town, the entire town was going through the street, 
with the cross and Mary and doing the uh, procession, and they were singing in unison. I mean, there might have been some harmony if you want to get technical, but they were singing together. And I was standing there in front of the church watching all this go down. And part of me was my cynical space, like, all right, what's this all about? Everybody's walking around here and, okay, what's going on? Okay, this looks like, uh, yeah, okay. And then it hit me, this wave of something that I cannot put words to, that I cannot explain, that I cannot make anyone under uh, understand. Uh, but I started weeping. This, this sense of the spirit came over me or something. Again, I don't know what to call it. And this is where I think I differ from the kind of people you're talking about. I've, this is my anecdotal story of sensing something otherworldly. Um, scientifically, I think maybe it's just the, the amount of energy that we humans can have when we all focus on one thing. Um, I have come close to feeling that sort of sensation when I've been on stage in front of, you know, 10,000 or 20,000 people when I used to have my band and we played festivals. I mean, sort of like that where everybody was focused on me, but it's not quite the same. Um, more so, um, it was this otherworldly thing that I cannot explain. And I've also felt it when I've gone to the, uh, whenever I go out to LA, I go to the Agape Church where Michael Beckwith is. And if you know Michael Beckwith, he's the minister in, uh, he's, he's highlighted in The Secret. And um, again, I want to really say, I'm, I'm also a guy who's, a, who's, a, who's really big in the science and I can be immensely skeptical of all this stuff. And, but I am, uh, one of the things that Michael Beckwith believes from his study of metaphysics is that uh, and they do this at the Agape churches. They hold the space around the church during the ceremony. And I've been there with a number of people who are equally skeptical. And I've been at the service and the music will start playing and the thing will start happening. And there is this wave of energy or just goodness that I cannot put into words that just is there and I begin to weep. Um, well, you know, one thing that I would just say is that, um, you know, it isn't that I never experience things that uh, I don't have an explanation for, but mm -hmm. I would never tend to, and this does not in any way lessen the fact that other people, including you do, but I would never associate those feelings with anything spiritual or supernatural or religious or, you know, any of those things. That's just not where I go with it, you know. So I could be overcome with emotion, and I often am, thankfully, mm -hmm. um, but I don't ever associate that with anything that has any of these ideas with it, you know. So, and I, and I know a lot of people do, you yeah. know, and, and part of the idea, too, I think for some people, religion is a way of, of explaining the things that they can't explain. Mm -hmm. And for other people, it's like that phrase that you used before that that's in a song, you know, let the mystery be, you mm -hmm. know, so those are two very different impulses mm -hmm. that are both, I would say, under the umbrella of religious, you know, thinking. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but, you know, it, 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 I guess it comes back to that whole idea of like, you know, that we haven't really explored yet, but that religion and or any kind of belief or lack of belief 
it can be used for good or evil. You know, like so there's some of my heroes, Gandhi and Martin Luther King, were clearly deeply religious human beings who were motivated to do a lot of the things that I think of them as heroes for by their religious faith. Mm -hmm. Um, And there are plenty of people, and we've talked a little bit, you know, in passing about, you know, burning witches and crusades and, you know, all those kinds of things where people have used religion for really horrible purposes. Mm -hmm. And there have been atheists like Joseph Stalin who who did horrible things. And there's plenty of atheists who've done wonderful and moral things, you know? So I think, uh, you know, there are people who want to make it like it's, it's a connection between uh, either religion or a lack of religion that, that makes you good or makes you evil. And I think, clearly empirically is not true from the way I see it, you know, and, uh, and I hope that most people have come to that on their own to realize that, you know, that those two things are not linked. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, what I was going to, yes, I, 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 uh, I, I agree with what you're saying. What what I was going to get at with the separation between faith and religion is like, like you said, you've had experiences and you, instead of trying to understand what or, or make some connection to them, I've had personal experience like the ones I've explained and, some, and, and, and many others. But I think where it falls apart or where it becomes challenging is when you try and codify them into a set of rules so that everyone can follow. And I think, I personally think, again, this is where it gets tricky because I have an understand. I have my own understanding of it from reading the Bible and all this sort of stuff. I think the goal is not, or, or the idea is to try and um, live like Jesus, not worship Jesus. And that really uh, upsets a lot of people because there's so much in the Bible about worship. But I don't know. I kind of feel like if you're God or and or Jesus or, you know, Gaia or you know the source why do you need worship what is what what is that a lot like why would that that doesn't that it seems like such a human thing mm-hmm. like humans want to feel adored and loved and worshipped uh, if I'm truly a, I mean if we are in God's image the most amazing people I've met are also the most humblest like people who've accomplished great, uh, I'm not saying all, but a lot of people who've accomplished a lot, particularly a, a lot where their growth, they, they grow personally um, in a lot of ways. They are so humble. Mm-hmm. They're not, they don't brag. They don't walk around. Look at me. I'm the greatest. They, they're actually like, uh, well, you know, it was just a lot of hard work. You know, mm-hmm. that's how I did that. And, and it wasn't all me. I mean, I had lots of help and, you know, they're just more open. So I think, anyway, getting back to the point, I think that when you try and then make rules, okay, if you follow this set of rules, you will be okay and you will be good. And, and this is the worst part of it. You will be rewarded. Mm-hmm. Like, why do I need to be rewarded for being good? Why? Yeah. Yeah. Why? What? Like I thought, just being good was just a good thing to do. Why? why it reminds there... me of something I saw recently, actually, that was supposed to be a quote from an Orthodox rabbi, mm-hmm. and one of his students was asking, "Why did God create atheists?" <laughs> and um, and the rabbi uh said, apparently, uh, well, you know, when when you or I do something that's good, 
-hmm. we're doing it because God told us to, or we're doing it, you know, for those rewards, or we're doing it um, because we think that it will please God. When an atheist does something good, they're just doing it because it's good, because they don't have that other reason. Um, so I thought that was a pretty interesting little <laughs> anecdote. If it's, I don't know if it's true, <laughs> but um, something. For... Yeah, yeah. But it, it, but, but I like again, like what I said before. Even though I'm coming from that secular perspective, I do think that there are plenty of people who are very deeply religious people who are not operating on a rewards and punishes punishments mm -hmm. level of morality. They are doing thing that, things that are right because they are right. Mm -hmm. And they may feel religion as a source of strength and inspiration for them, but that isn't the sole reason that they're, you know, so I'm not denigrating yeah. the morality of anybody. You know, I, I think it's important to recognize, and, and it's so complex. You know, there's mm -hmm. so many different people who do it and believe in so many different ways. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, and it, it's really interesting. Well, I think, you know, we had this opportunity to interview um, Eric Bazilian of the of the Hooters and uh, who's written a number of really wonderful songs. And one of those songs is the song One of Us. Many people have heard it, especially from Joan Osborne. Um, and uh, Eric's actually in Sweden at the moment. And uh, but we were managed we managed through technology to do a little interview with him. So uh, why don't we move into that next, if that's OK? That's awesome. One of the first songs both of us thought of including was was your song, One sure. of Us. Mm -hmm. So it's really great to have a chance to chat with you in this way and, and uh, ask you some questions about that. So, so how did uh, One of Us come into being? I had met a, a young woman from Sweden who had um, just moved over to Philadelphia to, to be with me. And um, within a week, she asked me how to show her how I, how I make a song on my four-track cassette recorder. And, I'd been playing that guitar riff for a couple of days, so I, I made a little, what the kids would call a beat now. I had a, <laughs> a keyboard with drum sounds and keyboard sounds and a bass set sampler, and I, I made a little track, and she said, sing it, and I put the microphone in record, and that's literally what came out. Mm. It just was one of those moments. I, I remember the feeling. I, I just felt like I was, I was in free fall. It was kind of scary, and just I didn't know what the next word was going to be. And then when when it came to the chorus, I just had this thing in the back of my neck sticking up. And then um, I was actually stuck for the last line in the chorus. And and uh, Sarah, who's my wife now of 25 years, this August, um, she she woke up and said, um, "Trying to get home, trying to get home, trying to find, trying to make his way home." So it was, it was really, it did sort of write itself. And, you know, the, the serendipity of it is kind of scary. <laughs> wow. Do you feel like you were connected to the source in that moment? I, when, in, when I'm uh, teaching young songwriters uh, to, to write, I always talk about connecting to the source or being in the moment or being present. Do you feel like that there was some, just you were completely in the moment and, I was completely in the moment. I'm, usually I am. When, I, when I'm writing songs, I, I do get there. Not every song is that song. But um, when I'm really in it, um, not thinking, it's totally being present and totally letting, yeah, it's, it's a total connection to the source. And I learn a lot about myself when I write songs. You know, even writing that one, that was sort of my entire worldview right there. Mm. You know, to me, the song... After, right after it came out and it, it emerged, I thought about it and, I, and what, what was I actually trying to say here? And to me, it wasn't really about 
God. It was more about the schmuck on the bus trying to get home. But, <laughs> but even even more than that, I, I think my, my thought process was, what happens if you are confronted with something that completely blows your, your worldview out of the water? What if you were to see, it, you know, ir, irrefutable proof of, of a higher power? If you were to meet an extraterrestrial, you know, if, it, you, know, if, if, if it, you found out this was all the matrix, you know, what happens then? You know, Something what that you just changes everything, to, yeah. Yeah. You know, what would you ask if you had just one question? I mean, that's a big thing. You know, like, what if, what if that big face did appear in the sky and said, okay, what do you want to know? You get one. Like wow. the genie giving, you know, with one wish. Mm-hmm. Well, you get three from the genie. I think God would just give you one. <laughs> yeah. So you better make it a good one. Were you in on the production of the song when uh, Joan Osborne was doing it? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, Rob and I were, we were the band on that album. We were part of the production team from, from beginning to end. And um, we'd already written a bunch of the album. We were, we were about to go into the studio to, to, uh, to make the record. And uh, literally 12 hours after I wrote the song, I wrote the song late at night. Um, we were back in our, our daily session, four of us in the room. It was me, Joan, Rob, and Rick Chertoff, who was the producer. And um, I played the, my demo. And my demo doesn't sound, um, well, the instrumentation sounds like the Joan record. It's the same guitar riff, and it's me, my fingers. But I sang it in a basso profundo, like Brad Roberts from the Crash Test Dummies. Oh. <laughs> that was my inspiration. That was the voice in my head. Uh, in fact i actually recorded him singing the song there was a real some real wish fulfillment there oh wow cool but um i played i played my my demo for them and i knew that it was a special song i didn't didn't occur to me that joan would sing it but after it was was over as soon as it was done rick looked up and said joan do you think you could sing that Mm. he said i can sing the phone book yeah right out the lyrics (laughs) So wow. she did, and and you know that we all just looked around the room, and we we knew we had lightning in a bottle. That that voice and that song was, mm-hmm. you know, was beyond. Wow! How did it feel when you found out that Prince covered the song? Oh, that was well. I found out about a year before the record came out mm-hmm. because a fan in Japan sent me a cassette with a live two live recordings of him at the Budokan doing that. Mm. And it's funny because one of the nights during that the long intro before the, the, the little guitar solo bit comes in, he says, this next song is written by Joan Osborne. I love this song. Sing along, <laughs> won't you? <laughs> <laughs> Don't you love it when they get the credits wrong? Uh, well, at least they spelled my name right on the album. <laughs> Mm. Well, that was, I mean, come on, to have Prince do your song, Prince did very few co- covers in yeah. his career. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you, have you heard of other churches using your song? I mean, one of the things that was uh, striking to me, I was, uh, earlier today, I was talking to um, a client of mine who is a devout uh, Christian, like, just very, very religious. And when I was talking, we were talking about the song, and he loves the song. And I've talked yeah. to Buddhists and, you know, uh, I, as I said, we played at our UU church. It seems like it's such a universal song that it can speak to, I mean, whether you're atheist or a deep, deep spiritual person, the song speaks to you. Yeah, you know, there's, there's nothing anyone can get mad at. 
<laughs> you know, the only thing that anyone ever took issue with was back in um, when it, when the first song was really happening. When we when we went to the Grammys, there were protesters from the Catholic League, hmm. which has nothing to do with the Catholic Church. It's a political organization. Hmm. But I remember they they actually one of the guy, the guy actually managed to get five minutes on TV where they interviewed him about it, and he said, "Well, we." You know, she mixes religion and spirituality with, with sexuality. And, well, it, it raises questions. <laughs> oh, questions. And then, the, you know, the only other blowback I've gotten is the word slob. You know, like, you call, you call my, my God a slob. No, no, idiot. If you speak English, just a slob like one of us. <laughs> Not a slob like God, a slob like one of us. So, yeah. you know. But it still does bring God down to a personal human level and i'm for sure for some people who are on the fundamentalist side of things that that they probably do get their backs up on about that i'm surprised you haven't gotten more blowback on that actually i guess but you know listen a lot there are a lot of fundamentalist christians who love to claim me as one of theirs Mm -hmm. Uh well that's another way to deal with it yeah yeah, (laughs) well you were writing about jesus you know you know god sent his you know his only begotten son to earth to, you know, to be one of us. And yeah, you know, if that's the way you think it went down, that's great. <laughs> yeah. Well, and when you brought up the idea, though, of, of questioning that it, that makes you question things, that's another thing some people have a lot of trouble with. Because yeah. for some people, you know, this is not about questioning. It's about, you know, rock solid faith that is unshakable. Yeah. And uh, I think your song is all about questions and it's posed as questions so i i could imagine that would also be threatening to some people actually actually the whole song is one question it's one sentence there's no punctuation in it it's a run-on sentence Mm. (laughs) (laughs) um but but yeah you know you know the one thing that i really like about my my really orthodox jewish friends but like i have i have um some lubavitcher friends they doubt they debate they argue, you know, you put three Jews in a room, you get six opinions. Yeah. Right. So I love that it, that it is about that. Now, you know, it's fun. I heard a great story. I don't know if this is relevant or not, but it's such a great story from my, my Lubavitcher friend in, in Jerusalem. You know, we have this thing about the, you know, the G word and believing, not believing. And I said to him, you know, I'm, you know, I'm like, show me the money guy. I'm, I'm, you know, reveal thyself. And he told me a story about the Lubavitcher Rebbe when he was alive, he used to go out on Sundays, um, stand outside in, in Brooklyn and just meet people. Mm-hmm. And he met this one Jewish guy and he said to him, you know, you should put on the tefillin. And the guy said to the Rebbe, yeah, you know, I don't really believe in God. And the Rebbe said to him, you know, that God you don't believe in, I don't believe in him either. Wow. Right? To me, you know, that, you know, that's a, that's like a Zen koan. I mean, that's really like, yeah. wow. Mm-hmm. Another one, one of mm-hmm. us stories. Yeah. Um, there's a, um, a children's choir, the Chester Children's Chester, 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 Chester. Yeah, I know them. Yeah. You know them? You know John? John yeah. Austin, yeah. director of that. Good, good friend. They do an amazing version of One of Us. Mm-hmm. Is it available? Is it uh, the recording available of that? It's on YouTube. Yeah. Okay. You can, you'll, you can find the video. And someone sent it to me, and I, I was just floored. So I, you know, I, I found them on social media, mm-hmm. um, messaged them, and then John contacted me, and we became, you know, we became really good friends. Hung out a lot, uh-huh. um, and it's interesting. They do the they do the Prince version. Yeah, yeah. Just, just a slave like one of us. Uh-huh. Yeah. 
mm-hmm. um, and that phrasing, which I, which totally makes sense. But I actually got to perform it with them once, which was kind oh, of totally that's... next level. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. awesome. Cool. Yeah, they're a great choir. Oh, it's so great. And what they do for the community, you know, I met, met some of the kids. It's just, it's yeah. wonderful. Awesome. Cool. Well, very nice talking with both you guys. Great talking with so, you too. Thank, thank you. you.
there may be many, many uh, disagreements and arguments about religion and belief, but uh, one thing I think is clear from some of these selections is 
that these these concepts have inspired a lot of great music. Yes. <laughs> and of course, that's gone on for centuries and centuries, yeah. right? Because tons and tons of amazing religion, religious music and songs and pieces about religious thought. And uh, yeah. Yeah, Bach. Wow. Yeah. Yes. So much, so much. Uh, I was... Uh... Thinking of our little conversation earlier, when I heard the, when the guitar break comes in one of us, it's so beatly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's so good too. It's, yeah, it's, it's so good. It's and, a really amazing song, and yeah. uh, you know, interesting that we did those two in a row. I wasn't even thinking about the fact that the XTC song was produced by Todd Rundgren when mm -hmm. we were putting it in order right yeah. after another <laughs> Philly area production. Yes, you know? yes, so, Philly in the house. Yeah, because. Right. Uh, <laughs> Uh, Rick Chardoff is the producer of one of us, and he's from right. Philly, and and they're not that far apart in age, um, and, or where they grew up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that you know that XTC song is such a great, mind blowing thing. That whole ironic concept of "Dear God, I don't believe in you." You know, <laughs> it's kind of like a. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, and, and that also goes back to what I was saying. I think you know, like there's the people often some people have said to me uh i've had jehovah witness and and mormons say oh you're one of us and i'm like how am i one of you well by your actions by the things you do all you need is the faith the belief i'm like well why do i need the belief i'm already doing it mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. doing what you're what i'm supposed to do according to your book of rules <laughs> right. and and the same thing with christians people will say oh you're you're just like us you're like oh, i don't think so because i don't follow your i i i, I have a certain a, a sort of different take on it than you do i i get what you're saying about you can call yourself what you are but i like i look at the um i i look at okay these are the rules that that christianity has set up to be considered a christian or you know, being like the different sects of, of Christianity. To be mm -hmm. Catholic, you have to do this. And I can check off most of the boxes, but not all of them. So mm -hmm. then I, I'm not Catholic. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I have, and then, then you know, go over to Baptist. Okay, these are the rules to be Baptist or Southern Baptist or whatever. Mm -hmm. I don't check them all off. So I can say, I have to say, well, no, I, I come close, but I'm not like, I, I'm not like you because I can't check. But off. once again, you are determining that. But when your example yeah. a moment ago of Jehovah's Witnesses saying to you, like claiming you as one of their own, yeah. and you say, yeah, but I don't feel a part of what you're saying. So I, 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 you're, in a way, you're disagreeing with me a bit. In a way, you're also kind of affirming what I was saying, because <laughs> because I do think that we agree that it should be up to you to identify as you want to, you know, just as with uh -huh. anything, with sexuality, with race, with, you know, you know, well, how you feel about your identity is a very personal thing. And I really get my back up when people tell me who I am. Right. Uh, and I know some very well-meaning and loving people who are like, you know, David, you really are one of us. You really are a spiritual person. I'm like, you know, you can think that if you want, but it's just not true. Yeah. <laughs> it's just not really well, true. I, I think, uh, this 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 feels like one of those discussions I get in with a certain person in my life who I won't talk about right now, but <laughs> um, where it's like, yeah, but the wall is a wall. Mm -hmm. Like I don't have to believe the wall is a wall, and there I, I guess there if there 
I, I don't know what the number would be for me. Where, where is it? Ninety percent? Is it ninety-nine point nine percent? But when there's a consensus about an agreement of, among a large group of people that this is what we've decided collectively. Maybe I wasn't in on the decision, but this is what we're calling this thing, and these are the things that make it that thing. And if I don't, I don't feel like I'm just not that thing. Then. I'm not that thing. And it, it feels, it wouldn't feel right for me to call it that. And I get, uh -huh. I get what you're saying. Like, well, I, 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 I can concede that, you know, like <laughs> I, I think, you know, like somebody could be deluded and they could say, Hey, I'm a, I'm a Muslim. I've never read the Quran, but I, I'm just going to call myself a Muslim. Yeah, right. uh, that would just be wrong. Okay. Right. I, 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 I maybe made my uh, definition a little too, you yeah. know, all encompassing, but, but I guess I just think there is a difference between like, empirical evidence about whether a wall is a wall huh. or belief and yeah. identity and i do think yeah. that that in to at least for the most part mm -hmm. identity should be self, choose, yeah, self chosen yes. you know yeah, yeah. and but, um, yeah. Yeah. The wall didn't call it a self a wall. We called it a wall, and that's what we've decided <laughs> to call. I mean, again, I, I I do want to stress though that it is it, it does all go back to stuff we just decided to make up. I mean, like mm -hmm. all this stuff um, is at some point some human sat down with a bunch of other humans and said, "What do you want to call that? Well, we'll call that we'll call that Christianity." Okay, mm -hmm. okay. Um, and what are the parameters of that? Because we have to define it in order to call it that. Okay, well, you have to do this thing over here. Oh, yeah, that mm -hmm. makes sense. All right, fine. But That's you can fine. really only say what you're saying from the outside of a religion because mm -hmm. if you're inside it, then that's heresy to say oh. that, that people made <laughs> well, it up, right? Because it all comes from God, according to, you know what I mean? It's, it, so, so you're saying that in a very kind of analytical clinical outside perspective exactly why I'm, i right. have to say i can't call myself a christian <laughs> See? There there you go. Go. but another thing you said i think would be a nice way of leading us to our final two songs mm -hmm. you know which is that you know again these concepts these ideas these beliefs these identities can lead in very different directions mm -hmm. so they can lead to exclusion like we are the ones who know the right way, the way God intended, and you are not, and so you're wrong, and so we're going to kill you, or we're going to enslave you, or we're going to conquer you, or whatever. Or they can be used more inclusively to say we are all one people. Right. There's room at the table for everyone, for instance. Yeah. So so let's hear a couple songs. First from Susan Werner from her album that's very much about faith and and belief that's called the gospel truth once again recorded right here in our general area and uh her song is why is your heaven so small and then i just alluded to the next song which is that carrie newcomer song room at the table yeah. excuse me sir what did you say? You shout so loud it's hard to tell. You say that I must change my ways, for I am surely bound to hell. Well, I know you'd damn me if you but my friend, that's simply not your call If God is great and God is good Why is your heaven 
you've been listening to Music for the New Revolution. I'm Rodney Wittenberg. I'm David Heitler-Clevens. Music for the New Revolution is produced at Melody Vision Recording Studios in Plymouth Meeting, Pennsylvania. Music for the New Revolution is written and produced by David Heitler-Clevens and Rodney Wittenberg. And edited and co-produced by Ben Flax. You can find us at musicforthenewrevolution.com or MFTNR. Like us on Facebook and follow our Spotify playlist. And our podcasts can be found on SoundCloud and iTunes. And you can also be a patron, a supporter of our podcast on Patreon. This is Music, Music for, for the, the New, New Revolution. Revolution.